who would not like to be standing on a bridge over 4,000 cadets and they're all screaming at you. Now, how cool is that? special night is. It is, today is November 12th. We're right after, uh, we are right after Veterans Day. We're right after a great Army win. Uh, the Army team, they uh, defeated Holy Cross, narrowly squeaked one by this week. And so potentially we're bowl eligible. If we went out, we got to beat one more, one more team next week and then beat Navy. So here we are. And we have our guest tonight, which is Barton, Company G1. My co-host, my company mate, uh, and also a good friend of Chris Barton's, uh, Brian Sharp, Company F1. And a few months ago, I was talking to Chris Barton, and he said, I would I would do the Old Grab podcast, but I just have one request. I would love to do the Old Grab podcast with the Blood Lady. And so through some sleuthing and some connections and talking to people in the West Point community, I found the Blood Lady, Jeannie Case. Jeannie, are you there with us? Hey, y'all. How are you? Jeannie, it is so happy to be talking to the 91ers. Well, it is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. We are totally stoked uh, to have you on the podcast tonight. Um, We had a chance to talk very briefly earlier this week, let you know a little bit about what this is all about. But this is kind of a, uh, it's been five years, five, a little over five years, going on five and a half years of of work that this has been been going on here it started with the run-up to our 30-year reunion and uh, I was having these very rich conversations with classmates about class giving and I said would it be great if we created a podcast around this and so now it's been five and a half years of of just talking to classmates and it's just been a wonderful experience and so very grateful you're able to join us tonight on the old grad podcast it is my pleasure thank you so much so where do we begin um, you know, Chris, you really wanted to have the old grad podcast with, with, with Jeannie, with the blood lady. Why don't you tell me why it was that you were so interested in having her on the call with us? Yeah. I, you know, I, it's one of those uh, touchstones we all have in common, you know, no matter what we did at school or what our major was or what branch we went, you know, there's a few common shared experiences we had And this, you know, when we're all gathered in the mess hall, this is certainly one of them that we all, it's, it's a little bit of a uh, little bit of insanity that helped us get through, you know, four years of uh, what was insanity at times, but you know, something we could laugh about and look back 30 plus years later and say that made no sense, but it was hysterical. Why was that? But um, you know, and I suggested it to Jamie. Jamie was like, "All right, hold my beer. I got this." 
<laughs> you did. <laughs> well done. <laughs> well, it turned out it wasn't as hard as I thought. All I needed to do is, is speak to our resident experts on anything West Point history, which was the West family. And as it turns out, they knew exactly who the blood lady was because the blood lady was none other than Jeannie Kays, who was married to uh, General Jim Kays, who was the head of the systems engineering department. And Jeannie, um, you were a, a huge part of our four years at West Point. And uh, I don't know if I, we ever heard more than just maybe one or two quick words of what you're saying before the court just went nuts screaming for the blood lady. So can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to be the blood lady? What what your actual role was as a blood lady back in 1987 to 1991? I would be absolutely delighted to. First of all, I must tell you that I was not the blood lady before 87. There was a lady who came in who was from Hudson Valley, and she got up on the poop deck and started to talk. And she did not realize that the cadets who were there had to leave and go to class or they'd all get written up. And so they had to do some finagling around. And I guess the TAC officers got with the cadets and they said, okay, we will, we will let the uh, person who was representing the blood, which is always good stuff. Um, and they, they can, you can tell the plebes that they can jump on the tables, they can stand on their chairs, they can clap their hands and, and do anything they want. So that's, that's how that started. And when I went in my first year, I had been warned that I would not be able to say a word. And about the third year into it, um, uh, you folks got a new, a new commandant who was General Bob Foley. And he was in his office right above uh, the mess hall. And that's when they put, they introduced me and then the, you all just went absolutely ballistic, which is really good for drawing blood. Uh, and he he turned to his um, assistant and he said, what the hell is that? And uh, it just so happened that this person was Jeff Wirt, who was a friend of mine. And he said, oh, that's Jeannie Case. Don't worry about it. And so we went on. I never did get one word out that I know of. I, I was. But I was first of all, I must tell you how humbled I was to be able to work with the cadets like that. Um, the, the cadets, um, the officer corps, the enlisted corps and the civilians are what made that job the best job that anybody could have ever had at West Point. They were always terrific and wonderful. And we did, we did three blood drives a year. I don't know whether you all remember that or not, but we did one for the greater Hudson Valley. We did one for Walter Reed. And then we did one, which was a combination of them. I, and they, and if it, it were, go ahead, sorry. No, I just, I imagine that it's, it's probably, I mean, in terms of the, the effort, the input, the effort, and the output, which is the number of gallons of blood, the number of liters of blood, it must. We, I think, we're a very high-producing school for those who would be donating, right? Right. Uh, when Desert Storm was uh, there, there was seven thousand units of blood that was collected, and that was from Walter Reed. And I think that was two years before I started. But then when I went in, we had um, we got over four thousand units in the four-day period every time. There was not a time that we didn't have at least 4,000 units of blood. And oh, let me just ask a little question. What does blood smell like? 
Does it smell like iron? A little bit like a me like metal? No, it smells like roses. Hmm. Like long stemmed red roses. It's it's unbelievable. But that's but that's that. So now you know you can do that in trivia. You'll get it. So did you work for West Point or were you working for Hudson Valley Blood Supply? Like who who was your actual employer? When okay. This okay. I I was uh, a federal employee, and at the time I was doing that, I worked for the Family Services Department. And um, one of my one of my jobs was to be in charge of the blood drive to do the advertising and and do all those things. And of course, I just jumped on that Hummer. And I it was I I did little interviewing papers and TV and radio and. And sometimes there'd be generals that were coming in at the same time I was there and I got to talk to them. But just, I mean, who would not like to be standing on a bridge over 4,000 cadets and they're all screaming at you? Now, how cool is that? Did you ever see, like, we used to have the plebes put ketchup on their arms and they would run up to the poop deck like they were going to be giving blood. Did you ever see? <laughs> No, I, I never did. They probably just kept me away from that. But mm -hmm. uh, I, I wouldn't I would not have been surprised that and what I used to do was hold my arms out and just pump them up and down uh, straight arms so that they knew where to give blood. Well, we, yeah. should, say, but, we should say we should say hello to some of our classmates that are joined us on the line here uh, on Facebook because they're they're piping in with questions. So Steve Lettering, Mike Krieg, Brian Mackey, Brad Woods. Brad Woods, who says that his blood smells like victory. That's what he said. Uh, Craig Morrow. <laughs> um, a, a, a few others here. But one of the questions we have from uh, Brian Brian Mackey was, did did they ever want the Corps of Cadets to cut it out? Like, was it ever considered to be disrespectful, the way that they would just, like, scream over your voice or anything like that? Or or was this just part of the, uh, the ethos of West Point? Uh, oh, my goodness, no. That was That was part of the... The stick to get to, to get everybody to come to come in to give blood. I I was never oh, oh I was uh, I like I said before I was honored to be a first of all I have to tell you guys that um, West Point see my blood is not red it's kind of black and gray and gold although I didn't go there my family did and I was so honored to do something that was giving back to the country through the cadets and through the the all the people that were there i was just i oh i was excited about it and i would tell everybody about it no that was that was a great great honor never disrespectful and, and my own children my sons were there when i was the blood lady much to their chagrin but um it was it was great fun yeah i by the way, yeah, I do remember. Oh, I do remember our either our cow or first year. One of the uh, captains from DPE got, a, I think it was Captain Wright, got up on the poop deck and said the core is disgracing itself, and started to lecture us. And we just drowned him out too. We did the same thing to him. <laughs> I don't, I'm well, pretty sure I remember you. That. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, that was. I wish I could have remembered that. <laughs> You know, I don't remember much took, from them. You know, they took they took me down and and got me out so that I could go down to Ike Hall to get started. So maybe maybe that's where I was when that happened. 
it's such a fascinating little microcosm of the world and of the army, you know, West Point, this whole concept of like, you have to give blood and they would, they would incentivize you to say, if, like if your company gives X percent or your battalion or whatever, your, your regiment, you could get a pass. You know, my daughter who's a plebe, she just got a pass because the fourth regiment had the most blood that was given of, of, of any regiment. But I recall, Brian, maybe you remember this. They would march us down to Eisenhower Hall <laughs> In formation, they would march us down and they would say, okay, if we give X percent of our of our company or 100 percent of our company, we'll all get a pass. Does anybody want to fall out right now? Like they, they would make you they would make you like leave in front of your peers. Like if you're going to chicken out and not give blood. Oh. Yeah, that it was like it was like semi like it was pretty much coaxed or, you know, um, you had no choice, basically. Oh my, I, I had no idea about that. I could now I never could give blood the whole time I was the blood lady. Really? I didn't weigh enough. Mm. Oh. oh, that was joyful then. It's not the same now, but that's the way it was back then. Uh I I you have to weigh hundred and ten. Now, did were you guys there when we start you guys, meaning you people, um, when we did uh aphoresis? I don't think so. Okay. Apheresis is when you went in, they put you in a chair, they took mm -hmm. a needle in one arm and a needle in the other arm, they took the blood out, they spun it around in a centrifuge, pulled out the plasma, and put the red blood right back in. Hmm. I did so, apheresis so yesterday. Could... <laughs> you know, I mean, that was that was one of the greatest things going. Uh, I mean, because you got your blood back, you, you had no downtime. And of course, I don't know. Are there are there any of the people listening who were playing football at that time? Uh, yeah, I'm sure we've got a football player too. Uh, if if you're a football player, pipe into the chat. You're a football player. I'm pretty sure we have at least one. I see here uh, Bernard Seeger saying he just got eight hours because he slept through a blood drive one time. He didn't give blood. But he slept through it. Love it. Uh, do, you, do you know the blood well, type of uh, Dave R. Palmer by any chance? Why are you going to go talk? <laughs> I know mine. I'm O negative, but I don't know him. I think America wants to know the blood type of Dave R. Palmer. Okay, we're going to say it's O positive. O negative is, uh, is it universal donor or is that O positive? No, positive is the donor. Uh, o negative is the one that can't do anything except give blood to babies. Oh, wow. But good old Dave, I haven't thought about him in a long yeah. time. Hey, so did you yeah. ever see him with his sleeve rolled up? Uh, how was that guy on the, the donation side of things? Uh, let me see. No. There you go. No. And now the reason I ask about the apheresis is that if you were a football player or a basketball player, baseball, anyway, you were varsity and you were in season, um, that sounds like a deer. Okay, if you were in training, is that better? Okay, you were in training and uh, you wanted to go give blood, the coaches would not let you. It was not It was not the cadets on the football team, basketball team, baseball team who refused to give blood. It's coaches would not let them. Yeah, you know, so, there's, there's a little story about that, 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 that it, it ties into the history of the class of 91. 
because uh, on a previous old grab podcast, um, Scott Halstead was talking about this because he had a kid in his company who did not give blood because because he was on the quote unquote football team, but he was actually the manager for the football team. He was the in squad. Oh my god! <laughs> he was. In, he said he was in season, so he didn't need to give blood. And Halstead was like, "You're the manager of the team. You are not a football player." And he's like, <laughs> uh, "It was. He was like a plebe or a yearling, and he was a firstie." And so, so Scott got into it with him, and and kind of, and then it turned out this kid like turned him in for harassment or something. So it didn't go down so great. <laughs> not such a good thing. But Woods, I just just a little comment here. He said, Lieutenant General Palmer. First of all, Doctor Brad Woods, who's he's a doctor. He said. Uh, his uh, Dave Palmer's veins were filled with cobwebs and scowls. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what's crazy? That guy was the same age that we are right now. So, like, he, like we are, he, we are the same age he was when we were. When, yeah, yeah. You're right. So that's crazy. Our our veins are now filled with cobwebs, cobwebs and scowls. I'm afraid. Yeah. So, uh, Mrs. Bloodlady, uh, after a couple of seasons, after knowing you were going to get drowned out with cheers, did you even prepare a speech, or what? What was it you were hoping to say oh. after all those oh, years? Nothing. This is your chance to nothing. finally say nothing. what you always wanted to say. Okay, I couldn't. I couldn't tell whether that was two questions or one. But well, the it ended up being no, two. I did not. I did not. Uh, ever prepare anything except get your tiny butts down there and give blood and other than that nope i didn't i didn't ever do anything because i you know what am i going to say oh your blood is saving all these people and blah 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 well you've heard that before and you knew it and you didn't need it because you were going to go anyway you were told to go give blood yeah, no, so i no i did i just went shopping for real cute red suits <laughs> oh yeah we got a, we got a picture of Brian Stark giving blood yesterday so he's still doing it. I see you got the uh, the old Gatorade right next to you right there and the and the red uh, the red yeah. blood. because they had donuts for him afterwards yeah, donuts. yeah I, I have to chew on these little candies doing the they call it automation or aphoresis and it, it drains something yeah. out of your system it's uh yeah okay the aphoresis is it's a Greek word meaning taking away. It's, God, I can't believe I remember this after all those years. Anyway, it's a it's a taking away. They take the plasma out, and then all the rest of the cells go right back into the body. So mm. they take out this little bit, and then they fill it. They they fill it right back up. I want you know Mike Mike Creek brings up a good point, and I forgot about this. But we used to always go to the Fursy Club the night of giving blood because you get a quicker buzz by giving blood uh, <laughs> true. nobody asked me to the first club so well, i don't we, know we gladly would have had you there you would have been a, it would have been a riot if you if we had known who you were to bring if we have you come out there well jim yes, did you know was... uh, remember our f1 uh trip section of the dominican republic mm -hmm. i came back and i got i got banned from donating blood for a year after that trip mm -hmm. It's a good time. Geez, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> well, my daughter was stationed in England uh, during Mad Cow, and she still can't give blood. 
Oh, wow. So Craig, Craig Morrow says that Dave Palmer looks, he would, uh, had him over. Had him over for a barbecue at Fort Hood, I guess after uh, after we graduated, and um, at and the army said so he looks a much younger out of uniform. He said he would just look old in uniform. So I don't know. I think that dude. I think he just looked older. I mean, I think about the other the other soups like uh, Chrisman and like Lennox and and even I mean Gillen, man, that guy looks super good, super young. Um, so it might have just been Palmer. He just looked old. I don't know. He's still around, by the way. Um, Is he really? That's yeah. wonderful. It's yep. probably from giving blood so many times. Probably. Cleaned him out. Probably. So did you have any other, any other, I, I guess you didn't realize the, the pressure that was on cadets. How we got kind of shamed into giving blood. It wasn't just about, we weren't inspired. It's like we're, we're semi-forced to give blood is what is what happened, right? But but didn't it turn into a habit so that you continued to give blood later on in your life? And for the little bit of shaming you got, this is now trying to twist it, that that made you go ahead and decide that you were just going to continue to give blood because it didn't hurt you and it saved people's lives. Well, Brian just gave blood yesterday. So good on you, Brian. It's been a while for me. Yeah, yeah It's been a while. It's been a while for me. I I, I gave plasma a few months ago. I did do that. I gave the platelets or plasma. Good. Um, that's, that is so heartwarming that uh, just that little tiny bit of stuff that I, I knew about that is still around. Well, Jean, well, there's a blood shortage nationally, so everybody's welcome. We uh, America needs blood, especially in the holiday season. Oh, it's coming up, and um, and it. I mean, they have the vans that go around. There's grocery stores. You can you can just about go anywhere and find a van. Libraries have them, um, and if not, just go into the ER and say, "I want to give some blood." And uh, I mean, did did you know you used to get paid for giving blood? Oh no. Yeah. I ah, that. So yeah, people, long long time years. ago. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, working with uh, Hudson Valley and with Walter Reed, uh, they're two two really great organizations to work with. But then I was there at West Point, and I I got to be I was probably the only one who wasn't a cadet who thought that <laughs> that the blood drives were really great. I loved it. Yeah, those were good times. So, so Jeannie, I knew you were going to be fantastic to have on this thing, and I'm so happy that you joined us uh, for the Old Grab podcast. Uh, just a, a few more closing thoughts from you before we move to to interview our classmate Chris uh, Chris Barden. But um, you you have seen West Point as you mentioned from many different dimensions as a wife, as a mother, as a grandmother, as a community member. Um, can you share with us just some of your most cherished memories of West Point and maybe the impact that it's had on you and um, something to leave us with? Um, when when we first got there, gosh, I, I guess it was in 68 or 69 after Jimmy got his master's. He, he was teaching in the math department. And I um, was appalled at the way cadets were treated. I couldn't understand the tearing down and then the building up until 
oh my gosh, because we were there for such a long time. Um, I, I, I knew kids who were uh, children of uh, the class of 62 that were coming into West Point. And I saw the magnificent difference that West Point had given these children of my friends. And they had they they were all leaders going in, but when they got ready to leave West Point, um, they were full, strong, upright, working leaders. They were. It was just. It was a metamorphosis that I would never have thought about. And when my boys went through, I was, of course, trying to be the mother and, and, and protect them. And that was really stupid. But I didn't know any better the first time. Second time I learned. But I just being able to watch and to be a part of West Point is one of the greatest things that God has ever given me was to see people mature and blossom and West Point did that. And I, it, it's, um, it's an honor that I was able to be a part of something that is so much bigger than I and has made this United States as strong and good as it is because of the people that West Point puts out. That's, that, that whole, uh, West Point, um, uh, changed my life and I did not have to wear gray pants all the time and I just was happy as a clam to be a part of West Point and honored to have known almost everybody there that I knew they were just absolutely fantastic and I I consider it a blessing and it's one of the greatest things that ever happened to me well Jeannie I have to thank you so much for coming on and being a guest as part of this uh, part of this experiment, the Ograd podcast. As I mentioned, your um, the memory of the Blood Lady has come up time and time again. It's part of our four year journey at West Point, and uh, I'm just so humbled to hear your words of wisdom and thought. And I'm so grateful that you joined us. We're going to shift now to interview our classmate Chris Barden. You're welcome to stay on the line <clears throat> if you'd like and listen. Or you'll be able to listen to this on the podcast uh, later when uh, I'll make it available. You'll, I'll make the link available to you so you can listen to it. But just in extreme gratitude to you, uh, Jeannie. I'm blood lady. Thank you so much. You all take now. Uh, now I say you all because I'm really not Southern, but uh, uh, y'all take care. Have a blessed, blessed weekend. And thank you for the service that you have done for this country. Jeannie, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank Bye -bye. you. Well, that was awesome. That, that was, was awesome. That is a first <laughs> for the Old Grad Podcast, getting the blood lady on. And Chris, you know, you you put the, you laid down the challenge for me. You said, get the blood lady on and I'll go on the Old Grad Podcast. Well, we got her. And uh, it was amazing. Mark Mark Kramer just put banging plates. So we had the, the banging plates in commemoration of, of Jeannie Kays. It was great having her on. Thank you. That was well. Nice job, Jamie. Good work. Yeah, yeah that's a huge success, man. You've been talking about that for five years. <laughs> that's right. That's right. 
And little did I know it was so easy to get her because she was right there. Right? You know? yeah. cool. Mark and Holly West just knew right away. Who doesn't Holly West know? I don't know. Holly and Mark West, they're like center, they are like Kevin Bacon on steroids raised to the, <laughs> of the power. They know everybody. Yeah. So. Can you still hear me? Yes, yes, yes. yes. We're, we're okay. Happy to hear. Okay. There, um, Gus is a classmate of my husband, Jim's. Mm-hmm. And we have known Pat and Guppy for, my gosh, it's 60, almost 63 years. And uh, there's there's nobody I know of that's given more or done more for West Point than those two people. Well, I got to tell you, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because Holly and E.G. and Mark, uh, they're just tremendous assets to West Point, too. And I, I have to mention right here, right now, and it's the email coming out about this, too. We have a class reunion coming up, a uh, two and a half year class reunion. It's in Louisville. The sign up is on Facebook. It's going to be coming out via email as well. It's going to be in April of 2024. It's going to be great time. The West have put that thing together. It's a bourbon tour. We're going to be going to a horse race. We're going, it's going to be awesome. So please make sure you can try to go to that. If you're listening to this podcast, look on Facebook, look on your email for the link or on Sally Port and sign up for it. Um, so Chris, give me the lay of land. Where are you located? Family, work? Give me this, the sit rep for right now. I live about uh, just under three hours north of West Point, uh, just a few uh, few miles from where I grew up, um, just <clears> north <throat> of Sar Saratoga Springs, in a little town called Gans Gansvoort, named after a Dutch Revolutionary War hero. Um, a lot of Dutch heritage up here, upstate. Um, so yeah, I've uh, you know grew up here, a uh, child of two educators, two teachers, and um, grew up on an old family uh, farmstead that's been in the family for almost two hundred years. My mom still lives um, on uh, the property and married. Uh, I met my wife my senior year at West Point um, going into the spring, um, spring of our, our first year. And um, we, uh, she, funny, she, remember, we, we used to have this thing at school on spring break. You, you could take an extra two days of spring break if you would agree to go do PR work for the, for the academy. Right. So you'd have to wear a uniform and go talk to some high Hold schools. On, I'm, I'm going to pull a word out of my out of my. Distant memories. CPR, C I think it's called. CP, yes, I think that's what, yeah. Cadet Public Relations something. something. Yes. And so anything to get an extra, you know, couple days of leave, get two extra hours of leave, I would have done it, you know, just to get out of there. So I I think every, most every spring break, I volunteered to do it. So my, uh, our uh, first year, I, I was kind of hurting for my last, I had to do the four schools. So I'm like, ah, I'm going to go to my old elementary school. Cause you know, what, what second and third grader isn't thinking about West Point at that point, you know I mean? <laughs> They're, check uh, the box. You know, check the box. Yeah, yeah, check the box. So, I get there and uh, my old third. I go to my old third grade teacher's room and talk to her class. And and on the way out, she's like, "Hey, you want to you want to meet our new kindergarten teacher?" And, and and it turns out this kind this was during Desert Storm. My little brother was in the Air Force in Desert Storm at the time and was uh, over in Iraq. And so she had been writing, having her class write letters to my brother, just you know, as, as a local serviceman, not knowing who he was. So, um, yeah, I stopped in to say thanks and met her and. Uh, we uh, went on our first date uh, April 1st of that year and then uh, dated through uh, after graduation. And, uh, you know, got married. We're actually, I, I, unfortunately, I, I can't make the Louisville uh, reunion because it happens to coincide the same weekend as our 30 year anniversary. So we're going to be, uh, I think, uh, 
going away for that weekend. What better way to celebrate your 30th reunion than hanging out with all your classmates in West Point, right? Wouldn't that just... That would go I'm, I'm, I haven't run that up the flagpole yet. I'm thinking about <laughs> it. <laughs> well, I, I would think Shelly would want to spend our reunion at uh, together, our 30th, yeah. Brian and Shelly. That's right. Yeah, because Brian, Brian has known my lovely bride almost as long uh, as I have. Just, you know, Brian and I didn't meet till OBC, but... Uh, um, I didn't I, I didn't know Brian at school. I knew of him, but uh, we met at OBC and then found out we were both going to Riley. So we decided to cohabitate together and shack up and get a an apartment that uh, we probably vacuumed once a year. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but so Brian Brian's known my wife Shelly for uh, for a long time. Yep. So what are you doing for work? And uh, tell me about the kids. With the whole the current. Yeah, I got two. Um, so I got, I got I got two kids. I got a, you know a son and a daughter, and it's funny because they're they're five years apart. They couldn't be different in their occupations. My son is an Apache pilot. Uh, he's over in he's, he's stationed at Hunter um, outside of Savannah, but he's been in uh, Europe since uh, April. Uh, he's coming back in a few weeks, wrapping up his, his deployment, and then uh, doing great. I mean, he he loves it. He just got selected to go to maintenance test pilot school uh, or what used to be Rucker uh, when he gets back. Just I guess I guess I'm, he's telling me. I'm, unusual for an officer usually I guess it's just warrants go to that and um my daughter is a is in her senior year at SUNY Oswego is a, is a, a journal, uh, broadcast journalism major and is just kicking butt uh spent last summer producing the local news for a station out of Albany and, and has you know, been offered a job when she graduates to come back there and produce the news for him so she had never seen the movie Anchorman so I made her sit down and watch it with me uh, first she wanted nothing to do and then she was you know begrudgingly said all right yeah that was actually kind of funny did so. you watch Anchorman too? Yes, yes. Yeah. But uh, but my kids are you know they couldn't be different and you know I mean five years apart and you know different professions but they but the, the most rewarding thing is that the two of them are thick as thieves and they're just close. They have this great relationship. They they they, they have this great sense of humor. And they they're, they're kind of like a comedy team together and they just get along great. So it's it's it, that's always you know that's really rewarding to see. You know, that doesn't always happen. And my, my wife and I pinch ourselves sometimes and we're like yeah this is this is pretty special. So someday when our when we're gone. You know, the two of them would be there to support each other and have each other's back. Yeah. Chris, uh, I think the class would be proud to know some of the antics your son's been up to. <laughs> so, well, all right. So he's been in Eastern Europe and, and he's gotten some passes when he's, you know, he's been able to uh, visit some really, I mean, cool places. He's, you know, gone to Greece, to Rome, to Budapest, uh, Dublin, um, Geez, where else? Uh, Prague. He was in Prague this week. He went back to Prague because he loved it so much. Um, and I'm sure a, a, another place or two. Oh, uh, Berlin. So he's been jetting around uh, Europe on his uh, on his when he gets a long pass for the weekend, hanging out and uh, sampling the the uh, offerings of the and sing, singing karaoke. The last video I got was a few weeks ago of him singing "Country Roads Take Me Home" in a karaoke bar in Rome, Italy, and getting the whole crowd to sing along with him. So he's 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 doing his part. Nice. But he comes home soon, and he's uh, he texts me there. And he goes, "Dad, I want to go to Army Navy." So uh, I, he's, he's never been to an Army game, Navy game. I said, "All right, we're going." I, so I'm uh, I got to secure some tickets and uh, probably a hotel room. So I'll throw something out on the class page at some point about that. But uh, he, he's held on going to Army Navy, and I want him. I was like, we're we're going to go. Moni um, Fox said that Kim Evans's kids are deployed in the same place. Uh, oh no, kidding. Kim Evans has uh, a son and daughter, and I think the son's in the Air Force, maybe, and the daughter's maybe. I don't. Maybe they're. I don't think that they're. In, I don't think anybody's in the Army. I think it's maybe it's Navy and. Um, okay. Maybe, you know, so you could pipe into the chat where where they are. Yeah. So. 
But I, uh, in terms of work, Jamie, I mean, I, for the last 12 years, I, I worked for a privately held um, building maintenance services company right up to just 15 minutes up the road. Um, a buddy that I've known for 20 plus years, our wives used to teach together. His parents started this business in the early 70s, and it's just grown and blossomed with this uh, this animal that's, uh, you know, we, we primarily do uh, commercial grade cleaning, a lot, mostly medical. We clean a lot of hospitals and health centers that, and medical manufacturing uh, facilities in the region. So a lot of specialized niche type cleaning that's you know, kind of important to get it right. Or, you know, if we don't, we can get, you know, places can get in trouble with, the, you, know, you know, the FDA or their uh, annual inspections that the healthcare industry has to go through. So, it, that, and that's been, that's been great. I mean, I, you know, I work close to home, have a very flexible schedule. I, you know, take care of business and, and uh, you know, prior to that, I had a pretty eclectic kind of career, got out of the army and uh, did a, um, uh, a stint with a, a garbage hauling company as, as a, you know, I went from tanks to trash trucks. So it was kind of a lateral move. <laughs> <laughs> principles, pr principles are the same, just the, the equipment was a little different, but uh, it was great. Cause you know, I could, you know, fresh out of the army. I was, I, I got, I, I took advantage of an early out, you know, during the Clinton years when the, I did like three years active and then Brian and I actually went into the same guard unit in Vermont. So it's funny, we were platoon leaders at Riley together. And then we were platoon leaders in the same uh, uh, unit in, uh, or we were in the same, basically the same battalion at uh, in Vermont, in the Vermont Garden. Surprisingly enough, the Vermont actually had a great guard unit. I mean, you, 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 a little tiny state like Vermont, they really had a, some a hot shit guard unit, tanks, and had a, a really good tank unit, or tank battalion. Yeah, it was, it was, it was good. But, uh, so yeah, I've, uh, you know, I'm lucky enough to live, you know, close my, my mom is still alive my, my dad passed about 20 years ago of uh prostate cancer so my my quick uh no, no pun intended my quick psa which cuts two different ways on this is get your psa checked and our classmates that have it so it's that's uh, just a normal that's a normal blood test right they should just do that as a normal like when you go for your annual it, physical it is yeah, yeah with, a, with a family history i get it done uh more often than not you know try to pick a urologist with small fingers if you can that helps but, uh, <laughs> It's uh, it's super important, you know. I'm uh, my uh, I, I often you know my, my late father would be here potentially if he'd caught this sooner, so mm. he didn't. So, but mm. you got to be vigilant. You have been the master of side hustles too, right? Like you you've had your your normal gig, but you've had a bunch of other little things going on inside, like little supplemental income, oh. right? Tell me about you know some... what, I, my my late father was a, he was a gym coach, you know, but my, my father was always had something else going on. My father was a logger. In the summertime, an excavator, a painter, you know, house painter. Um, he was always doing something to make extra money. We didn't grow up, you know, my mom was a teacher, but she kind of re retired to take care of us as my brother and I as kids. And uh, so just my dad providing the income, you know, and, and we, you know, we didn't grow up in a, I grew up out in the sticks out in the country, really. And, you know, on an, like I said, on an old farm. And uh, so my dad always had a side hustle going. So I kind of learned that from him, you know, at 12 years old, I was in the woods logging with him and skidding, skidding trees out and getting ready to go to the sawmill and, uh, or, you know, learn how to run a heavy equipment at 12 years old and his dump truck. And so, you know, which is something that I still like to do to this day. I'm, uh, it's kind of my catharsis. My, my, that's how I let loose. I, I'm lucky enough to still own some property. It's been in the family a while. And, you know, I, I'll either hop on the bulldozer or the excavator or the tractor and, and just, uh, you know, property maintenance and it, it turned the cell phone off and it's uh, it's a great release. But, uh, so my old, when my, when my father passed, he had started this, organic recycling business and uh he was basically it was it wasn't that sexy but it was a great great business and it worked great new york state had, had started the ban uh, landfills taking organic waste mostly yard waste and so 
my dad got a permit from the state and said, all right, I'll take it. And he, he figured out how to compost it and process it and turn it into a product. You could, you could sell, you could, you could basically sell people leaves back to them, you know, as a compost or a mulch. So he got that up and going. Um, plus he had a mine, he, he got a mining permit from the state. So when he passed, I kept that going another three years. I did my regular job during the day and I'd go work another four or five hours till dark doing that. And uh, as a supplement, you know, an income supplement, having two young kids and it was, uh, it was a, you know, I, I think part of the healing process of losing your dad's sort of young, kind of a little bit cathartic to keep that going and, and to kind of honor his memory, but also for my own uh, probably mental health to stay busy with something. So, Brian, did you, uh, you meet, you met uh, Chris's dad, right? You knew him, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, I can't believe, has it really been 20 years? Uh, almost. Yeah, it was, uh, it'd be 19 this February, so very close. But he was only, he was only 62 when he passed and you know, all of us are a lot closer to 62 than we are to 40 right now. So, you know, in my, I, I'm at, I'm at the age when my dad was diagnosed. So it's, that's even more, actually, I'm a year older. So I'm like, wow, that, that's, uh, that's kind of sobering. You know, he was already, already had cancer at this age. Well, it, Chris's dad was hilarious and he didn't always get along <laughs> with his neighbors. And uh, there was always oh, some, uh, <laughs> some sort of friendly neighborly consternation. My dad was of the walking tall school of justice, sort of, if that makes any sense. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he was, he was a great guy, you know, had, had this great, you know, very generous, but quiet, you know, a quiet generosity, but, but man, you, you, uh, you cross someone he cared about, or you, you threaten someone, and, uh, and there were, you know, there's still stories that people around here tell about some of his antics, and how he could fly off the handle on stuff, and, uh, you know, never, never like, you know, um, you know, where, you know, anyone got, you know, killed or hurt necessarily, but just the, my dad could string together profanity to like nobody's business and uh, stuff that'll make you go, wow, that was, that was good. That belongs in a book. Ah. I could do that. <laughs> yeah. So you got this outdoor equipment, you got this outdoor playground, right? Like, like this, yeah. the, where you, where you just let loose this cathartic and you have like a, you, you call it the outdoor disco, right? You have an, you have a disco. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's called it, the unofficial name is the disco in the woods. It's uh it's on this old piece of forested property. It's been in the family forever. And I'm, I'm lucky enough to, to own it uh, now for, for, for a while. When my grandparents passed, I was able to, to pick it up from the estate and uh, it's always been the family. We call it, we used to call it the family. It's the woodlot. It's where my, my ancestors used to harvest firewood to keep the farmhouse warm. And it's, and my dad logged it a couple of times while I was little, but always in a responsible way where it's never been clear cut. It keep, keeps generating wood. And I put it in a managed forest plan a few years ago in New York state. I hired a forester to come in and catalog everything that's there on 85 acres by, by species, by type, you know, by, by um, size. And I actually took a couple of days off from work and went with them in the woods to do it. Cause I thought it was fascinating. It was so, and it was so old. Yes. Girth earth yeah it was so uh, old school the way he did it but it was fascinating so i put the property in this managed forest plan for 25 years with new york state where i get a nice tax break but i also manage it responsibly you know and we do a selective cutting every six seven six seven years something like that and it's up to me when we do it and it's up to me what trees we take because i want it you know i want it to be sustainable for the next generation hopefully my kids and you know keep going long after i'm gone but uh yes but it's, it's where i go to, to relax yeah i've got this kind of compound not compound but at this campsite brian's brian's been there um kenny mintz has been there craig morrow um sue and troy philburn have been a few times they like coming up to, I'll, I'll do the, I, just, I just did an event a few weeks ago just to 
uh, Mike O'Toole from the class of 90, who's a good friend and lives nearby. He was actually at the Army football game and, and drove up at like 9.30 that night, came up and hung out for a while. And we had a great time. But yeah, I've got a couple cabins. I got a pizza oven I built, a big bonfire pit. I got a, the latest uh, hairball project that makes no sense is uh, I dug a pond with my excavator. We're going to do uh, curling this winter back there. We're, um, so we're going to have a, like a redneck or fantasy curling league, which is going to be really, really dumb, but really fun. So Brian, Brian's going to make a guest appearance at some point. Brian's been there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, I maintain the property for a viable purpose, but it's also where I go to, you know, relax and work, you know, where my mom lives, you know, another, I don't know if I call it a side hustle. I'm working with a young, like a 2000 grad who lives nearby who owns a solar company. We're trying to site a 15 acre solar farm on my property there to make, uh, you know, just to give it a viable use for the next 20, 25 years, something that I, I think is important. And if, if, if that doesn't work, then I'm going to turn it back into 30, 30 acres of forest. I'm going to reforest the whole thing. Dude, I'm in. I mean, I want to come to the disco in the woods. I, I know I, I was trying to get out it's there. With I want to try. Right. We'll get you an easy, easy Pete up there. Any, actually, any, you know, any of our classmates, I'd love to have, you know, anyone who's ever in the upstate New York here, I'll, I'll, I'll start and put stuff out on the class page and it's come one, come all, you know, it's just, it, it, it kind of, you and I have talked about this, Jamie, and, and, you know, we've talked about on this healthy leader call that we do with Tracy, um, which is, you know, anyone who doesn't, who's listening, who doesn't know that healthy leader car calls an offshoot of the old grad podcast. It was when Jamie interviewed Tracy Fisher, what, a year and a half, two years ago, maybe something like that. And Tracy had this, you know, great idea and super generous just to say, you know what, she's going to volunteer her time and her expertise as a wellness coach to, form this uh you know this grad group of just grads that want to get together and, and talk about common common shit that we all deal with you know the good and the bad you know we're, we're all at that point in our lives where we're you know we're we've got as jamie as, as jamie likes when i say the, the patina of middle age and old age on us now we're starting to get that patina on us like a you know we're not quite antique but we're getting there but you know and it's been a great um group to just uh, kind of be raw and honest and, and, and vulnerable and talk about what, you know, not only, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I think we were all focused on talking about the good. And now I think all of us, all of our ledger sheets are, you know, we've got enough on the, the loss side and the, the stuff that we, you know, have dealt with that, you know, we, it's, uh, it's helpful to talk about it. So yeah, the challenge is super cool. Yeah. That's, just, that's what's so amazing about this group of all of our class, the class of 91, we're all about the same age, plus or minus, two or three years we've been through similar challenges and trials and tribulations and the fact is that there's no kind of facade no bravado we could just be like very honest with each other and that's what's been so awesome about those calls and thank thankfully tracy who who is the facilitator uh she's just tremendous at and getting everybody to you know be able to connect and 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 share these challenges of aging parents and parenting yeah. teenagers and changing jobs and getting older and you know yeah, tracy's been in our health tracy's been an amazing facilitator and catalyst to that and, and you know none of this happened without her taking that initiative so i think you know a lot of us are really you know, are grateful to her and it's sort of taken on you know now you know if, if we don't have a call schedule a lot of us say hey when are we doing the next call because we look forward to it it's a, just a great you know fellowship event to chat with each other and, and talk about what's going on and the last one we did, I actually, ironically enough, I actually ran the call with some help from Tracy. And that was the topic we talked about, you know, kind of trying to find balance at this stage in our life where, you know, we can all fill up the ledger sheet, ledger sheet with loss, you know, whether it be, you know, the loss of loved ones or the loss of our health, or even as an empty nester, you're losing your kids, you're losing your kids to the world, you know, and, 
And that's a that's an adjustment and a and a interesting dynamic to go through and and lots of other versions of loss. So, you know, how do we take things like the healthy leader call and focus on the you know, you know, balancing out the loss with some some gain, some found. And you know, in my own in my own sake, just just since the 30-year reunion, I mean I've connected with classmates. I didn't even know at school and it's been awesome. I mean Tracy, I didn't know Tracy at school and and I talked to Tracy a, a lot, and, we, and, and she's actually hired, hired me as her wildflower coach. Because I, 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 another thing I did this year, I, I planted a huge, several acres of wildflowers, and she wants me to, you know, I'm, I'm going I'm to help her do a smaller version of that at her house in Ohio. So, but, but stuff like that, you know, and, uh, you know, Sue and Troy Filburn lived just down the road. I didn't know them until, you know, a year or two ago when I started to connect with them. And, uh, you know, John, John Keenan, you know, Storm and Norman John Keenan, I mean, met him at the reunion, and he came up and hang out hung out. What a, what a great guy. We had a great time. Um, so it's been great. You know, uh, Craig Morrow, who I was in G1 with and knew at school and Craig and I just had an awesome weekend. We went to the Syracuse army game and hung out in the woods and drank whiskey. So the, the I think the, the ability to connect and, and balance out the lost part of our lives right now, or the stuff that we can't do anything about the stuff we can do about has been, it's been huge. And it's something I've really leaning into more as I you know, look at the next year coming up and I want, I want to do more of it. That's why I want to have people up to the woods or try to make events, whether it's, uh, you know, games or, you know, the, the Louisville reunion or just stuff at West Point and just kind of throw yourself into the connection piece. Cause it, it really is, it, at least for me, it's been really quite uh, rewarding. Um, Bill Stone, another guy, another classmate who Brian and I lived with in, uh, or not live with what we were stationed in Riley with and Brian and I've connected with him a few times uh, and his, Bill's got this gorgeous farm in Virginia and we've hung out there and there's a few funny stories there. I'll let Brian elaborate on those if he wants to, but uh, it's always a good time when we go to the stoners. It's always great to see Bill. And although I have to admit, uh, I, it just makes me wonder if, if somehow you ever end up in uh, Danamora, you know, that, that Supermax prison facility there, not too far away. Uh, yeah, that's where they had to do an escape a while back. Yeah, you, you may not want to know, uh, mention that you were a wildflower coach. Uh, if you end up in yes, no, I, yeah, that's only for select audiences. <laughs> Chris Barden, wildflower yeah. coach. That's, uh, that's right. Actually, that sounds awesome in reality. It was super cool. I, I got more I got more enjoyment out of that. Than I, I did it for my mom because my mom yeah. has been kind of sick. And I'm to be honest, I'm not sure how many summers she's got left. And my thought was this might be her last one. So I, I wanted to... She's got this beautiful hill upside behind her farmhouse that she can sits on her back porch and look at. So I took the whole hillside. And I just planted it in wildflowers and it came out better than I thought it would. I was really pleasantly surprised. And so next year I'm going to expand, you know, hopefully she's here to enjoy it. And if not, I'm going to do it. I'm going to plant a small apple orchard too, probably 25 apple trees at the top of it. Wow. So, yeah, Mark Arden is great. Yeah, she is. So Chris, let's, let's turn the hands back a time back to 19, the high school years, 19, 83 to 87 like what what was going 50 pounds on? and 50 pounds and 40 years ago here Anthony we go <laughs> new york young young chris barton stud stud athlete stud <laughs> student like what made you want to go to west point what, tell me about what's going on there you, you know i i, I hope this isn't a, it, there was no kind of watershed moment i mean i think like like any like 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 any of us in our class jamie and i was uh involved in a lot of stuff you know with sports I was not a, you know, I, I was not a standout athlete, but I, but I, you know, I wrestled, I played football, ran track, you know, but I was all, you know, band, drama club, you know, uh, student government, you know, all, you know, the things all of us did because, you know, that's how all of us, you know, some version of that got to West Point, you know, and, uh, 
you know, again, I grew up in the, out in the sticks and, uh, you know, my parents as educators were like, Hey, you know, you've, you've got the talent. And they, I forget, they knew somebody, you know, locally who had a connection to West Point. Like, Hey, you really need to should think about West Point. And I was like, ah, okay. So, but I also applied for some ROTC scholarships and, and, uh, so I, I, I was I was very fortunate. At the end of the day, I had like a, I had an Air Force and an Army ROTC scholarship to choose from, and I had West Point, the West Point appointment. And and you know, like any you know dumb you know or any seventeen or eighteen or didn't know what he didn't know. I'm like, ah, you know, I think I just want to go to a regular college, you know. And my parents were like, yeah, you can, but you know, if you're going to go, go big, you know. And and so I did. You know, I was like, all right, that makes sense. And in hindsight, you know, I, if I'm being honest with myself, it's probably better that I did. I'm not sure. I would have had the discipline to stay within the lines the first year or two at a civilian college. Who knows how that would have turned out? So maybe the the, the inherent guardrails of West Point might have uh, actually saved my ass by, by going there and keep me between the lines. And you know, so. But you know, I think like a lot of us, the first week or so, you're like, "What the hell? How did I? How did this happen? What am I doing here?" And then so tell me about that. The first week, so our day, you show up. Who's your roommate? And there's some G one. There's some. There's yeah, some great guys. Yeah. yeah. So my, my roommate was uh, Drew, Drew Coogan, um, who uh, Drew lives down in uh, Chappaqua now. Works for uh, works for Pepsi. Great, just a great guy. You know, one of you know guy that I was you know tight with all years at school. Um, and a guy uh, I don't remember his name. He, did, he he quit like three weeks in, so he he was only there two or three weeks and he was gone. But uh, yeah, you know it's. Um, it, 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 we all have our different story of the crucible, the crucible of those first few weeks, which it was, it was a crucible. It was, a, it was, uh, it, it was crazy. And, uh, but, you know, a guy, uh, Mark, Horlott, Mark Horlott, another guy, Kirk, Kirk Swanson. Swanson. Yeah. 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 Kirk Swanson, Swanee, big hockey player out of Min Fridley, Minnesota. Yes. And then Mark Horlott from, uh, West Springfield, Massachusetts. The big O. The big O. Yeah. The big O. You know, you know, it's hysterical, you know, anyone, if you know, Mark, Mark is, you know, had an incredible, had an incredible career in the army and then, you know, been super successful out, you know, went to MIT, got his master's in civil engineering and got his PhD in computer science. And I think now is, uh, you know, doing his own thing on, on uh, you know, cybersecurity, but uh, it, we have funny stories from Beast with him just, you know, being all ate up and, you know, all the rest of us getting yelled at because he'd come out all, 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 all ate up the formation and be like, Who's going to take care of Orwat? But one of the funniest stories was the last, the, the, was it Lake, um, was it Lake Frederick where we did our, before the march back? Right. So we're in our tent city one night and uh, I still pick on Mark about this and uh, where all of a sudden I hear one of the upperclassmen uh, who was a terror coming through yelling, Orwat, where are you? Get out here. And then a couple other times, so probably it was like four or five of the first cadre screaming for Orwat. So he pops out of the tent and he's like, sir, I'm here. Apparently, Mark's underwear got lost in the laundry, and his dad had called. He like you know, called West Point to say, "Hey, I need to find my son's underwear. Where is it? You know, find his underwear." And so Mark, uh, I still I still pick on you know we're you know we're still looking our looking for his bag, you know, hermetically sealed bag of underwear somewhere from never came back to him. And uh, the big O, you know, ago, the big the big O did some freedom rider trips with us, the Army Navy. He, he, he did. You know, just always, always, just a always a tremendous person, and also very resourceful, very thoughtful. And I, this was like yes. fifteen years after graduation. I found out he put in a claim for his lost full dress, <laughs> or his for his the shrunken full dress from graduation parade, and he got paid for his full dress for the damage caused by the cadet laundry. Right? 
That's why he's working at the Pentagon and we're not, Jamie. <laughs> I wonder if we could put in a claim okay. later, like 30, 30 some odd years later, like, you know, my, my full dress shrunk and this should be with a crude, with a crude interest. What would it be yeah. worth now? <laughs> yeah, it's a like huge lottery. Yeah, we had some, we had some, we had some great dudes. Um, you know, like I said, I spent, you know, I spent all four years with Craig, uh, Craig Morrow and, and, uh, but the, the weekend I spent with him a month, a month and a half ago, we, we had a great time. And th there's a guy, if you haven't had Craig on the podcast yet, you need to Craig, Craig, Craig's had a, Craig had an amazing career and, um, really, you know, exemplifies the whole, you know, lifetime of service to the nation thing. Very cerebral. So, He's very cerebral. right? Yeah. But just a super, super interesting guy to talk to and just, and, and just a, you know, beyond that, just a good, just a good dude. So, but, uh, which describes, you know, good dude and, and, and good, great, great woman. It describes it pretty much everybody in our class. So, I mean, I know it. I wonder. It applies to a lot of us. So, you majored in geography or something, right? You said. Yeah, I uh, I watched uh, like my friends Drew and Mark, you know, doing uh, big engineering design projects, and I said, ah, I think I want to go to the Cadet Movie Theater, and I, I don't, I think I'm good. <laughs> But Mark, Mark will tell you a funny story. With the one time I was his design project on a wastewater engineering plant design, uh, he actually sent me the design a few years ago. I got it in a yellow packet in the mail because we got like a B minus on it. It was like the lowest grade Mark ever got at West Point, and uh, it was because I was his partner, you know. And he's like, "Dude, you you slept through half of this." I'm like, ah, "I don't know. I don't remember it that way." But <laughs> yeah, no. But 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 to be fair, I was I was you know and in to this day I'm still interested in you know I, I guess maybe before there was a true engineer or environmental science pathway there, that was kind of my bent anyway. And you know, having grown up out in the sticks and and being an outdoors kid and you know being around the woods and, and things like that, I, I had a natural interest in that anyway. So it wasn't really a you know so much as a as a get over major as something I, I was actually genuinely interested in it. When you think back to the four years at West Point, is there like particular time you'd want to relive if you could or like when you like when, when you, you think of your most cherished memories of that place what 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 are the things that come to mind you know i don't know i i, I mean first year was great but um that was certainly a great i mean the, the, i'd say the last to the last two three you know probably from new year's on to graduation that that three month four yeah, four four or five month sprint to june 1st was just it was a whirlwind but, but it was great you, you knew where you were you, you knew you were at the proverbially end of the tunnel and just don't anything don't do anything stupid and you'll graduate kind of mode and which was ironic because we had a guy in g1 one of our cadre when we were plebes who literally the day before graduation got booted out on an honor, honor violation as a firstie and that was always a stark warning to a lot of us going you know don't don't fuck it up because it, it can don't take it for granted because you get careless and you know not, not that any of us would but you know we, we saw that and we were like holy shit that guy just spent four four years here and isn't going to graduate so, but I think that last, you know, five, six months sprint, you know, when, and, and certainly when, when Schwarzkopf came and spoke to us, I mean, that was, you know, and, you know, the Gulf War had ended successfully and, you know, and every, every, every media outlet in the country was there. And I remember we took, uh, you know, we took a long weekend and I brought a bunch of guys home. I used to bring a lot of guys home up here to, to where I lived and like 12 guys, mostly G1 guys, you know, and, um, you know, Swanson, Coogan, Chad Michelson, another great guy from my company, basketball player, Army basketball. Uh, T-Man, Eric Timmerman, another another legend of G1 and, uh, you know, had a super successful Army career. But uh, we brought them all up here for a, a long weekend. We just had a ball. We went up to Lake George and hung out. You know, we had like 12 of us. And this was before Uber. So really had to figure out how you were getting anywhere, you know, and not, 
you know, without without getting behind the wheel of anything. So what we did, we had a we had a blast and just and hanging out in the in the sticks up here with me. I just I just had a I just had Eric Timmerman memory come through in my head. Um, remember there was a there was a pep rally or some sort of like spirit thing, and and you had to imitate being Colonel Turner, like they had like guys one at a time being Turner. Yeah. And Timber gets up there and you know, he he you know throws the bayonet into the into the floor or whatever, and then he he takes um like uh, a red paintball and chews it. In his mouth. <laughs> There's like blood blood coming out of his mouth. The place goes nuts. I mean, it's kind of going back with our theme about about the blood lady. And um, I remember that sounds it, like team, that sounds like T man. It's just yeah. so funny. I remember him telling me afterwards. He goes, "It tasted horrible. Like <laughs> it tasted." <laughs> So just like, one of our one of our company mates, though, that, you know, it, it, so again, and this kind of goes back to what I mentioned that, you know, a, a little while ago, this, you know, loss and, you know, our, we've got we, I'm pretty sure I'm correct when I say this. The class of 91 has more fallen classmates than any other class around us. We have more deceased classmates than um, like 90, um, 92. I'm, I, last when I looked like a year ago, it, it was and it, and it was it's kind of startling, you know, and, one of our own company mates, um, Bill, Bill, Van, Bill Van Mullen. Bill was a great guy um, from Manchester, New Hampshire, in G1 with us. Tall, redhead uh, guy, hard to, hard to miss him in a formation. And uh, right after I started at my new job, I forget how it came down, but I, I, I got wind that he was sick. Maybe it was one of those Caring Bridge pages. And just on a whim, I think, you know, a bunch of us started talking in G1 and said, hey, you know, Bill lives in, you know, I think of Brentwood, just outside of Nashville, you know, Two weeks from now, what are we doing? Can we can we all rally and get there? Not knowing, you know, it, we knew it was bad. We just didn't know the whole, you know, timeline. So anyway, long story short, about 12 of us Greeks rallied at uh, his house in uh, Tennessee. Had a great weekend. You know, Bill was in great, thrilled to see us. We had, you know, great food. We laughed our asses off. You know, this, the same stuff we, we, we do now when we get together. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it's just kind of this organic spur of the moment thing that we pulled off. And it was, you know, looking back, that's, that's one of my fondest memories after West Point is that we just sort of instinctively came together and did what we had to do to, to take care of him. And so we had this great weekend and a month later to the day he passed and he was gone. And, uh, you know, I know his, uh, his wife and his two teenage daughters at the time, you know, sent all of us, you know, just saying, Hey, that, that, that meant a lot. Thank you. Thanks for doing that. But I think that was a, that was maybe my first inkling since graduation where I was like, you know what, it's, it's important to show up when we can in any way you can, you don't have to physically be there if you can. I mean, you know, but make, make the effort and just try to, you know, do what we do what you can within your ability. And uh, I was really, you know, proud of my fellow company mates for rallying at, the, at a moment's notice and just doing what they could to be there. That's awesome that you did that. How did you communicate? Yeah. Do you have each other like on email? Do you have a WhatsApp chat? Like what's your, what's your, uh, you know, to be fair, we're not as tight as a lot of other companies. We have a, we have a group text that we communicate through occasionally. Um, and I'm trying to think, I think this one was more email this was back. Yeah. I think we just had, somehow we had everybody's email address 12. This was 12 years ago. Yeah. yeah. 11, 12 years. So, and uh, yeah, we just kind of, you know, treated it like a, like a, like a, we were just handed a, a, a you know, a warning order and, and, and made it happen, you know, and uh that was, you know, looking back, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm glad whatever we, that meant to him, I'm glad we could pull that off for him. So, Well, in speaking, just a, a real quick note on this topic is that we recently were charged by AOG to create a class caring officer. They wanted every class in the 90s to have this 
stay, stand up this capability to be able to rally around folks if they have sickness or challenges in their life. And so Ovi Alfaro has stood up and said, raised his hand, said that he would do that, expanding his role as the that's great treatment officer, but he's going to also stand up this this role as the class caring officer. And we are looking for people to support him in, in that work, but there are clearly best practices about how you can set this up and make this happen. And there'll be more to follow on that. I know that also like there are um, un, un, unutilized capabilities of Sally Port right now that could mm -hmm. be a way to connect with people. There's WhatsApp, obviously text messaging. So it's important to be able to stand up these little, these little yeah. resources as, as we can. Um, I, I got, I got to meet, Ovi by phone a, a few months ago when Tracy and Ovi and I did a, a, a group call together and it, it's very enjoyable to again I only got to meet him over phone but really great guy to talk to and I was really thrilled to get to talk to him and hear about his work as the bereavement officer and it was in preparation for the healthy leaders call and Ovi made a I, I, I hope I'm going to say this correctly. Ovi made a great point he's like hey you know I, I show up kind of after the fact to try to fill the gap which is huge and he in in and the three of us kind of agreed. Wouldn't it be cool if we could fill the gap before someone dies? Well, you're all thinking you're all thinking the same pathway that AOG was thinking as well. And uh, AOG was now spearheaded and led by our classmate Mark Beeger. This is a big okay. part of the yeah. next generation uh, plan around West Point is to be the most connected uh, alumni group and and to be the most proactive as well. So that's that's really what we're going to be able to do. I know there's a there's a um... I think it's on Netflix now as a docu docu series. But 15, 20 years ago, the, this book, uh, The Blue Zones, came out, and I, I read it at the time. It was written by a National Geographic author, and the the, the, the quick, you know, thirty second sum and substance of it was, hey, there's you know four or five regions on the planet where people live the longest, and, and what are the commonalities they have and share that that create that, you know, and and, and certainly you know diet's a big part of it, you know. Um, some of them might even be, it's probably genetics to a degree, but, but, you know, diet, but the one common theme among all of them was the strength of their social connections as they get older, the strength of their connectivity with other people. And that was the common thing among all of them. And I think that's, you know, that, that's kind of what we're talking about here is how do we have robust connections going into the, you know, the last, you know, 25, 30 years of our life here to try to make it 35 or 40 years. So speaking of robust connections, we have to move forward here past West Point to your experience at OBC, Armor Officer OBC, because there are some really huge <laughs> part of that group, right? And and the pre-call, yeah. on the pre-call, we had some conversations uh, talking about OBC. And let's talk about this. Um, we're not, not being monitored by by PETA here. Let's talk about the the ferrets that were owned by by Hairball at uh, at OBC. Right. Brian, you want to cover this one? You've been well, very quiet, I, Brian. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I mean, I, I, in case anybody doesn't know, Harris Morris, our classmate, goes by Hairball. And then Mark Humiel goes by Hummer. Mike, and Mike Humiel. Mike Humiel. And, um, and they were roommates at OBC. And for some reason, there wasn't enough BOQs. And, and so they were off post. And they had some great parties there. And you'd be hanging out and you know how you hold a, a red solo cup in your hand, you know, like you're drinking a beer. And all of a sudden this little, it was a ferret or a weasel would climb up your back over your shoulder and it would lean down and drink your beer. And uh, <laughs> so it turned out it was their pet and it was, his name was appropriately Ranger. So Ranger, the alcoholic weasel or ferret uh, 
was just an awesome member of many of our our parties at at, uh, at OBC. And then running into uh, Hairball years later at one of our reunions, I asked him, you know, whatever happened to those things? And, well, it turned out there were two. And uh, he said at the, end of OBC, <laughs> yeah, at the end of OBC, they, they just returned them to the pet store. And, uh, you know, some, some little girl probably said, hey, mommy, can I, can we get a pet? And they, little did they know, they brought home a alcoholic ferret. Um, but <laughs> I think he chain smoked too, you know, he unfiltered. <laughs> uh, but those guys had some great parties. And uh, they really did. We really had a great time at OBC. Yeah. Louisville was a great city to go to. We had some great old bars. None of them were there. When, when I was, when my, my son uh, was at his advanced camp ROTC in, in Knox, I, we, we drove up to Louisville and all those old bars are gone now. Of course, I mean, 30 years later, what a surprise. But we had a great time in Kansas too. We had some great class. We had, we had uh, uh, Mike Krieg, Rob Dill, um, Jim, Jim Balot, um, Mark Wells. Who else was there from our club? Uh, Bill Stone. Stone, yeah, Stoner dog, you know, and I think um, wasn't Moose Moose George was there, but he was like was he AD uh, artillery IDA? I'm trying to remember. But Moose was there too. Yeah, Moose. I remember seeing him. Yeah, there. the sweet Babu, Johnny Bab. Oh yeah, Johnny Bab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a great group of guys there too. That was a great. That was a great time. We, yeah. It, you had Manhattan, Kansas, there too. Like, wasn't that like a college town? You're able to just like be semi like normal, like 22, 23 year olds there. Could it was just it was like a five mile walk from our apartment to the downtown one one that we made a few times until it was one night though I walked by a construction site and there was a backhoe there and uh, turns out the keys were in it so that ended up back uh, across from our park our apartment complex one more I don't I think they found it because it was gone later that day but that's how so we got did, home you took the backhoe home I knew how to operate it I started hey this isn't a you know I think I, I, what could go wrong? You can only go like 15 miles an hour. I think, I, I think it'll be okay. I didn't park it in the parking lot. I parked it across the street from the apartment. That sounds like some awesome times. Um, Brian, was, was Hairball, who's the guy that was in your Buckner platoon with the, um, with the, uh, with the, the. Yeah, that was Hairball. Uh, that was Hairball. And I want to say, oh, uh, uh, he died our senior year. Mike Haas? Mike, I think it was Mike. Mike I mean, those, those two, yeah. We had a kick-ass Buckner squad. Mike Haas, Bill Love was in there. Unfortunately, both those guys are gone. Uh, but that, yeah, that was, that was hairball. That guy's a hero. Um, so tell us the story. What would he do? Well, we went out, I think it was the 50 cal range, and the, the enlisted guy who was teaching us that, he told us you could take your the chain on your dog tags and snort it up your nose and <clears throat> kick it out and pull it out your mouth. And so then it'd be sort of like a pulley system. You could pull down your nose and up your mouth. And we just thought that was the coolest thing. And so we got back to our, remember those, those kind of nasty barracks, got back to the barracks. And so hairball and I think it was Mike, whoever it was, they, they decided to use dental floss. And so they, snorted dental floss up their nose and spit it out so they both did it and then they took it to the next level they both took the ends of the dental floss and tied it together so you could pull it out 
uh, hairball's nose and would go up Mike's nose, and like a double, like, <laughs> I kind of think you'd see like an old uh, sailing ship, one of those winches. It was among the funniest things I ever saw in my life. Those Can guys. you imagine? <laughs> imagine they tie, I mean, this is not smart at all. They tied dental floss, which by the way, doesn't break too easily. Imagine if like one of those guys fell down or like somebody pushed them or something, they would have had like massive, like not sinus injet, sinus damage to, to, to their noses, you know? Yeah. I, 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 I know. You're pretty bad. Hey, yeah. if I could tell another hairball uh, Fort Knox story real quick, Lee. Uh, so at the end of OBC, we all put on our dress blues and they had some, a big thing at Grog, which I don't think we can get into the Grog story. But you would get a, a shot glass of grog and you'd, you'd make a toast of whomever, take the shot and then you'd throw the glass into uh, into this fireplace, which is pretty cool. And so people would bring different things. Somebody had sand in honor of the Gulf War, chemical light. And uh, anyway, Hairball brought in a live goldfish and put it in the grog and stirred it around. He scooped it out in a shot glass. <laughs> I was like, you know, cheering because he's you can see it it's, it's this it's the size of the shot glass flopping around he holds it up and he old, picks it down well he was always joking so he when he started doing like the i'm choking thing we're like ha ha oh yeah isn't the hairball's funny again he's, he's like shaking his head he's, he's like no i'm really choking. <laughs> we're like oh ha 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 and it's just sort of well so finally palmer comes behind him and gave him the heimlich spits out the fish into the palm of his hand the thing's still alive, flopping around. And he kind of shakes it off. And I think he realized he just hadn't taken it down the right way. He gets it by the tail and takes it down like that. <laughs> he didn't miss a beat. That guy is, that guy is awesome. That, Hummer <laughs> saved his life. Good. Imagine that. You see that in the back of the, uh, the West Point magazine. You know, um, not, what, what does it say? May the, thou be at rest. Yeah. And it, it lists, you know, yeah. Lieutenant Harris Morris, goldfish. goldfish. <laughs> a couple of months after graduation. Anyway, I well, think you appreciate that story. Yeah, well, if you're out there, I love you, man. You know, I got an AAM for um, saving Jeff Settle's life at, um, at <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous at um, Camp Gruber because he was choking. I gave him Heimlich maneuver, and I they gave me an AAM for that. So imagine if you imagine imagine if they gave. Um, who was who was the guy that gave him the, the Heimlich maneuver? Imagine if they gave him Hummer. Yeah, I think it was Mike. Yeah, Mike came right into the nick of time and saved his life, and he would have been choking on the goldfish. Would have died of goldfish yeah. inflation. Oh man! So Brian and I, Jamie, have had some adventures, you know, more recently too. Because my when my my son was at Rucker, uh, Brian actually came down. Brian, Brian, you were the first guy to puke in Nick's new apartment, I think. That's even right. my even my son as a new, you know, flight school LT hadn't had time to puke in his apartment. Brian christened it for him. Old school. Yep. You're old school. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I was proud of him. Yeah, it was great. If you're going to go, you're going to go all the way. No, and you did. And then uh, Brian uh, flew down to Savannah uh, last year after he left for, uh, when my son left for Europe. And so Brian and I have done two road trips up the East Coast and stopped. Bill Stone seems to be the common denominator. We always seem to stop at Bill's place and do something stupid or happen. We, have, we always have a good time for sure. And uh, Brian and I got very. Uh, Bill, had, for those of you who don't know Bill, Bill's in, into the old uh, MGs cars, and he's got a, a couple of beautiful old MGs that he's restored. So, so Bill's super talented with that. And uh, 
so Bill had this hot rod shop and Bill went to bed at like 11 p.m. one night and Brian and I decided to stay up and hang out in this hot rod shop until three in the morning. And uh, what, what what else? Oh, yeah. What else happened there, bro? Oh, yeah, bench, Brian. Uh, bench press one. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Brian, yeah, Brian got the idea. We got the idea that it would be cool if I laid under the car and bench pressed it while it was on trestles. It could have fallen on me and crushed me. That would have been another interesting be thou at peace entry. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Be thou at peace, Chris Barton. So, so we actually have a video of that. We're it's like 2.30 in the morning. We're both hammered. And I, crawl, I, I wedge my fat ass under the car and somehow raise it up off the trestles, not realizing it could fall off and crush me to death the whole weight of it. I mean, well, Brian in the background is yelling and screaming. Yeah. What happened? Chris was killed in a car crash? Well, not exactly. He was, he was crushed by a vintage car wound. Yeah. Crushed by a vintage British sports car. <laughs> he was run over by a car. No one was driving. Uh, <laughs> and then no one was driving. The car was going hey, well, zero I, miles If I can put in a plug for, for Bill and Anna, um, their farm in Shenandoah Valley, Virginia, is just super, super awesome. And uh, it's gorgeous. They've been very generous to you and I. And uh, I, I think they'd love to host a bunch of classmates yeah. out there. We ought to have, I know we've got Kentucky coming up next year, but we ought to have a mini reunion at, at your Disco in the Woods and a mini reunion at Bill, Bill's farm. That would be awesome. Yeah. Well, I tell you, Kenny Mintz and I went to, uh, I do this annual, and I know, Brian, you open invite, you haven't done it yet, but this annual camping trip, the end of the summer in Hickory Run, Pennsylvania, it is magnificent. Kenny was, Kenny fell in love with the place. He's like, you, we got to have our whole class out here. This is just so great because we have this whole campsite. So, it, you know, it's this spur of the moment stuff. And Chris, you kind of mentioned it too. Like, you just got to make shit happen. You got to make a story. Make a story. You do. You know, because we're running out of stories if we don't make them, right? You just got to make them. And uh, doing something like that is just is really a, a great way to make it happen. I agree. You got to keep making new stories. It's important. Yeah, it keeps us young. Keeps us young, at least mentally. It does. It does. So we are getting towards the end of our podcast time here, and you know, Chris, I mentioned to you like at some, this is the point in time where I want to kind of turn it over to you to give us some some final thoughts and your perspectives on on life about West Point, the Army, and whatever else our relationships among our classmates. Um, it's been a it's been a great time here, starting off with the with the Blood Lady, but also reminiscing with you through yeah point in the army and, <laughs> and crazy stories from buckner and and uh obc and drunken ferrets and i knew we were gonna have a great time talking there's probably 10 other stories we haven't even told here that we we talked about in the old grab in the uh, pre-call but what what you, thought you, did you want to leave with us you got to change the singars to red for some of the stories that'll <laughs> be another time <laughs> yeah um you know i i think you know the one thing i already hit on it's just the the, the power of connection and kind of lean you know this whole idea that we're, you know, we're all experiencing our own version of a yin yang in our lives, you know, and I think the key is to keep it balanced as best you can. You know, we can all enumerate the losses and that's easy to do. I think the harder part is to lean into the, the, the other side of the equation. How do we add to the balance sheet on the, on the positive side, on the connection? For me, it's connection. It's making connections with classmates. And to be fair, a lot of, I, I connect with a lot of classmates that I haven't met up with in person, but I connect with them on social media or through the call with Tracy that, Again, folks that I've really come to enjoy interacting with, and I and I think and, and that I find super interesting, and, and hope to you know be able to hang out in person within the future. But that's a piece of it, Jamie. The the, the last piece, you know, the one thing about your calls um, and 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 our and and our healthy leader calls has been the generosity of 
spirit and our class, some of our classmates who are very willing to be very vulnerable and share challenges. You know, Kenny Mintz is a guy that comes to mind. Kenny, you know, everyone knows Kenny. Kenny is as rough and tough as, as they come and there isn't any a better ass than Kenny, but he's also a guy that isn't afraid to share what's on, in, on his mind or in his heart. And, uh, you know, we've all got challenges. I think we got to be there for each other. You know, I, uh, in my own case, I, 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 I wish I had dealt with some mental health issues sooner than I did, but I did. And, and that's the main thing. And I, I'm, I'm in a hell of a lot better spot than I was seven, eight years ago. Um, and I, I just wish I'd done it 15 years ago, but I think the point is you do it, but I think you need, we, we got to be there to support each other on some of the delicate and sensitive issues like that. Um, you know, our physical health, you know, I, I talked about getting your, P, your, your PSA and your prostate check. It, 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 the, the least glamorous exam you'll ever have done if you're a guy, trust me. <laughs> if you haven't had it done yet, get it done, but you aren't going to enjoy it. Um, but you, the- Speak for yourself. You know, get, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a calcium score done of my, of my heart, you know, and I've, I've had that done before, but the most recent one came back, not as good as I hoped. So I'm like, all right, time to, you know, I can wallow in what is, or I can say, what am I going to do about it? And I think- just be, be, village, be vigilant about your health at this age, your mental and your physical. Um, and I try to be, because I, again, I watched my dad pass at 62 and I know, especially as a gym coach, he, you know, he had a background in physiology and he, and he been more vigilant. He, he very possibly could still be here and enjoy getting to know his grandkids. And, and uh, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that's here that knows his grandkids at this, at, at, in my eighties. So um Take care of yourself, but I think even equally, if not more important, let, let's uh, let's make sure we double down and take care of each other. And to that point, uh, on the Healthy Leader call, Healthy Leader podcast or uh, uh, calls that we have, we, we're going to lay down a challenge here for 30 days coming up here. 30, yeah. 30 straight days of 30 minutes of movement. That's what we want to do. And so 30 for 30. You can do it the day after Thanksgiving to Christmas Eve, or you can do it the last 30 days of December, whatever it's going to be. But just let's find a way to move and to, you know, walk, run, work out, whatever, for 30 straight days. That's one of the things we want to do with the uh, Healthy Leader podcast, Healthy Leader calls and Healthy Leader group. And uh, we'll be putting more information out there. Some other updates here. I got some awesome guests coming up here on the Ograd podcast. I want to kind of tease this in a little bit. Um, Mark Beeger is going to talk about AOG and his plans as the CEO of AOG. I've got Chris Hartley coming on which is going to be great because he's been attack officer now at the Citadel following his service at West Point. So we're going to have a lot of, a lot of interest, like interesting stories about that. I've got Elad Duran live from Tel Aviv telling me about what's going oh, wow. on there in, um, in Israel. And then Army Navy Week at some point is a little bit dependent upon the schedule of some of our uh, pretty busy classmates. I've got Andy Iliff and Ted Russ with our classmate lieutenant general john braga they're going to talk about stealing the goat our first year and that's probably wow. going to happen on december 2nd that's going to kick off army navy week of course the big schedule i'm trying to work around is johnny braga and so he's going to he's going to give me a, a window we're going to do it in that window and it's going to happen and he's going to jump on the old grab podcast and tell us all about stealing the goat first year um so anyway this has been a great night. A lot of fun talking to you guys. Uh, Old Grab Podcast is a uh, labor of love. Great way for us to stay connected. I'm so grateful for, for you, Chris, for your friendship and Brian, your friendship as well. Uh, it's been it's been great kind of hanging out with you guys, doing, you know, running the gauntlet a little bit uh, over the last uh, 30 years. I look forward hey, to doing 
Hey, hey Jamie, the, Jamie, the one quick 20 second story you didn't tell us how you and I met. How we I met? Your garden. I took your garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you were the man, man. I remember when, when we were plebes, um, there was this one week where I could take leave, but I had guard duty and our entire company had guard duty. And there was nobody in my circle that was able to take my guard duty because we all had guard duty. It was all bullshit. And I remember talking to you, you and I had, I, we had a psychology class together. Yeah. I, remember, I remember the psychology class Cap too. Captain Ruffin? Captain Ruffin, yeah. She was, she was amazing. She was a wonderful, wonderful uh, P. She was so nice, I remember. But I remember Drew Krugin fell asleep like, with his hands like this. It, like, and there was like this pool of drool. That was, like, <laughs> probably, up dip. Like, probably dip coming out of his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and it just like kind of kind of like filled up and like ran over. Like it was just so funny watching watching him. But um, yeah, so you took my guard duty from me, man. I remember saying to you, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I got the opportunity to take leave, but I got guard duty. You said, I'll take it for you. And I said, I'll pay you, man. I'll, I'll like whatever. And you said, no, I'll just do it for you. And, you know, Chris, you were a lifesaver back then. I'm so grateful for that. And I think you brought me cookies back the next no, time. No, uh, banana bread. My mom, my banana mom, bread. That's banana right. Bread. Yeah, yeah. Banana bread. It was outstanding. Yeah. She's Gigi's banana bread. My mom's still making banana bread. I call it banana bread diplomacy because she's constantly making them, <laughs> handing them out to people and getting favors for it. So that, that, was, that was one connection I want to make sure we hit on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so grateful that you took my guard duty way back when. But we've been friends ever since. And you guys I'll do it again, man. Yeah, we'll do it again. We're going to do it, the disco in the woods. We're going to have a campfire and hang out, maybe drink some bourbon um, and just hang out. So I'm up and do curling this winter. Yeah. Craig Morrill. Well, hey, don't today. forget, we're all going to see each other in Army-Navy in a couple month. weeks. That's right. A couple weeks. That's right. Yeah. We are. That's right. All right. Well, to our classmates, Craig Morrow, he said he got cookies from Chris's mom and Vince Lindemeyer, uh, BQ, uh, Nadia, Brad. Uh, Mark Kramer, uh, Moni, Bernard Seeger, Cami, uh, others that have joined us. Thank you so much for joining us for the Old Grab Podcast. Uh, it's been great being here and hanging out with you guys and uh, looking forward to beating Navy in a couple of weeks. So thank you, everybody. I'm going to stop the live feed here, but Brian and Chris, you can hang out. Um, thank you, everybody. Duty shall be done. V place wouldn't let us use the bathroom. Hold on. I'm recording this. I'm, I'm attacking I'm tacking this story on. Yeah. Okay. To the old grab podcast because we forgot right. to tell the story about the freedom rider right so the freedom rider was an rv who came up it was, it was I, I did it was you yeah i rented it up here in new york mm -hmm. and it was it was in december so that the, the the place that owned it was like all right we've already winterized the thing we'll run it to you but you can't use the bathroom because it's already been winterized so i was like shit how you know i, I knew we we're gonna have to piss so I, I grabbed an old five gallon water jug from work from our water cooler and I went to Walmart and bought a funnel and I duct taped it to the top of the, you know, the water bottle. And that, and so you could, you know, just, it was like a, you know, redneck urinal. It worked perfect. So we just kind of fastened it to the inside of the RV. So, you know, within, you know, in 24 hours, we collectively filled up five gallons of piss in that thing. And I think, I, I re, you know, I remember there were, we were hosting this party. We had a bunch of people at this party Yeah, and, and different people were using it. I think I remember female cadets using it too do you guys remember that really yeah wow no i wow no i, I, I don't so. remember that i thought well maybe maybe i'm uh who, who knows? i remember after the i think i don't know the next morning you know we're all hung over and you know jamie's sleeping in a pile of trash and... right because it was warm it was unusually warm 
and the whole RV was like packed with people or what? Or maybe I was too inebriated, but no, nah, I think I was snoring, and I think a lot of people were farting too. Oh, that's right, that's right. I, I needed I needed out of that place, right? Because it was yeah, because was... big big Al big Al Quay always would kept kicking me because I snored all the time. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. But, but so, Jamie, Jamie, you kind of woke up out of this, you know, deep slumber in the trash you were in. And then you, you were like, you know, I don't know. You were like some combination of John Belushi and uh, I don't know. You just, you, you, you grabbed the urinal, you climbed up on the roof of the RV. I think we handed the, the five gallons of piss to you and you raised it over your head like, you know, you're, you know, gladiator and you just hucked it off I the roof. See, I want to see if it would explode. I want to see like if yeah. I this five gallon. Cause it was a, it was um, like a, like a water bottle, but was it like yeah, a, it's off like a water a, cooler? Like, but like, what was it, like Deer Park or something like, like that? Yeah, yeah. It was like water. It might, it might have, yeah. So we capped it off. It's completely, it's five gallons of urine. And so wait, five gallons, a gallon was eight pounds, right? So it's like 40, like 45 yeah. pounds over my head. You, you were pretty strong. Yeah. Well, that's not that much strong. I mean, 45 pounds. But I'm up on top of this RV that's also, have like a like a a light layer of frost on it, so it's kind of like slippery. Yeah, yeah. Huh. so stupid of me to be doing this. And then I yeah, but you launched this thing, and it and it hits, and we're all expecting this big, you know, finish. And it said it bounces and just rolls across the parking. It just keeps rolling. Yeah, and I think and I think that's back when we were still at Veterans was Veterans Stadium. I think we were still at Veterans, weren't we? Or was that the new stadium or whatever? It rolls across this parking lot. We're all like, oh wow, look at that! It didn't didn't explode. I think we just left it there that point abandoned it well think about the poor guy that had to pick up the parking lot and he comes across he's like oh look at this somebody left a full keg of beer and like wait a minute kegs aren't clear wait a minute that's not beer he's probably used to it every weekend because you got the philadelphia eagles fans those guys yeah are oh that's together. true those guys are dirty well if, dirty. if you're talking about the uh the freedom rider you ought to give a rundown of who the crew was Right, because we had some some, so the 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 OG crew was the three of us, Easy Pete, Johnny Braga, the Big O, right? Big O was there. He was a uh, um uh, Sanjay Pure no no Pure there San, Sanjay, yeah, Sanjay and, and, and his Sanjay. his brother He was the designated single guy, right? The DSG. Yeah. 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 Jeep Perandahan. Well, don't right. forget Pat Kern. Pat Kern. Yeah, right. That's true. Pat Kern was a part of it. And we had Al Quay, who was my ROTs are from ROTs. Al Quay. Al Quay was, yeah. Al Quay was, he was also DSG for a while, the, the designated single guy. Steve uh, Sharp, class of 94. Mm -hmm. Eric, Eric Sharp, Sharp 90, Navy, class 89. Token, token Navy guy. Yeah. I'll just cold cuts. Not really. That's a good crew. Actually, I think that's where um, Pete started wearing that hat. Uh, Ebenezer. I, that's where Ebenezer got its start. It was. Yeah. That was before it was Ebenezer. That, that's where Ebenezer, that, we all knew Ebenezer before he was an international movie star. So I remember at least three or four years in a row that we did this, but we also did it, we did it at, um, we did it in New York too. We did it at, at the Meadowlands and there was no heat in the, in the thing. Yes. It was freezing cold. Remember that? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was fucking freezing. Mm -hmm. Well, Jamie, right. you had an RV two Army Navies ago. Yeah, yeah, right. We did a. We tried to. We tried to get the band back together again two two years ago. Yeah, you, me, and Steve slept in the RV. No heat. That was. I still I, think it'd be. 
it would be cool. I'm at the age now where I, I, I'd like to, I'd like to buy an old school bus and convert it into like a, you know, the annual freedom rider, take the, rip the seats out and make it like a, you know, our own beat Navy RV. I think that'd be kind of cool. That was actually a pretty epic uh, army Navy two years ago, Brian, because we <laughs> left Friday night and we kept going until Sunday morning. I think we didn't stop. And then actually, I think Saturday night after the game, I convinced Pam to drive to drive. Because <laughs> we were going to park it. We were just going to park it like in an Applebee's parking lot and then go take the train to New York City. And she's like, you cannot do that. Like, you're going to get this thing going to get towed away or something. And so Pam. <laughs> I'm looking to look over his shoulder. Because <laughs> she would come in here and start. So Pam says, I'll drive this thing home. Right. And by the way, we just cooked a whole bunch of tacos. There's like, it's like nothing was secured. Like there's like taco meat flying around it. And so it's windy. <laughs> and so she drove this thing home with my son and his girlfriend while we went to New York and the wind was blowing. Jesus. And she texted me. She said, if you ever do an RV again, we're done. <laughs> we're, we're finished so that was uh pam's the best yeah. she's awesome she is the best that was you are right though we went from friday afternoon till sunday morning all out that was yeah that was a good trip